guys. What do you have an accent? Because I'm channeling my inner John Barker. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, um, hello, listeners. My name is Cece. Oh, I'm Alex. I'm James. <laughs> and we have a special guest with us today, our dear friend, Callie. Callie, do you want to say hello? Well, hello, all the beautiful listeners. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, nice having you. Of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, James, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about premonitions. Yes. Yeah. Premonitions. Uh, how have you guys been? It's been so long since we recorded our last episode. Oh, yeah, Callie, it's been a long time since we recorded an episode with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it has never, in fact, happened. Um, <laughs> but it's just been a long time since we've actually gotten to talk, so it's nice getting to do that. We've known each other for, what, like a decade now? and. Yeah. We met, you and I and Alex, we met in the, the that one class, Miss Cardiff, yes. pre-Marksbury. And then the following semester, that was the Marksbury class that we were all That's in. That's right. We all met in screenwriting class. Yep. Yeah. Good yeah, times. You did, yeah. Yeah, great times. Kelly and I took a lot of uh, telecommunications classes together because oh, we, we both <laughs> have the same degree. So, And then we both mm-hmm. went into work in news mm-hmm. and it's been it's been good Good times, good yeah. times. Interesting stories, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, do you guys have any exciting life events that have happened to you lately? Just any exciting stories? Um, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I saw I saw a lizard yesterday. Mm-hmm. He saw it in her box. Yeah. He was very was excited about the, that lizard. I, my foot's my purple. Week. Oh, your foot's purple. Yes. Yeah. That's gangrene. Uh, cut, <laughs> yeah. cut that off. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound yeah, good. Yeah, me and CC both got messed up feet. Oh, guys. We did. We did. James, what happened to your foot? Uh, I dropped a weight on it. 45 pound oh. weight. Ooh, I didn't know it was 45 pounds, James. Yep, it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is I w- I'm more bothered by being embarrassed and in pain. Nobody at the gym realized I was hurt because I walked it off like it was nothing. Like, ooh. I just stubbed my toe, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we all know this was actually a spider bite, and that he's lying so that the, the people don't come and put the spider down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, mm-hmm. howdy doody. You guys? Wow. You guys? Okay. Yeah. Are you okay? I am. My Just You're- the thought of my foot, dropping a 45-pound weight on my foot, Makes me cringe a little well, bit, James. you couldn't pick up a 45-pound weight, so you don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to punch you so square <laughs> in your face. Marital bliss right there. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> but my toe, I think that, you know, James, your foot's purple. My toe is purple. Mm. Callie, do you have a, a purple foot? I don't have a purple foot, but it's just jacked up in general. So, I mean, I could join the club. Um, I have a Ble- a wonderful foot story for you. I'll make it quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but back in high school, I ended up, uh, I was playing tennis, ended up rolling my ankle and landing on it. And it turned the Ooh. color of the yeah. rainbow and it swole up to half Ooh. the size of a tennis ball on my foot. I ended up tearing all the ligaments and tendons in my foot. Mm. Well, it was, it was bad. And the worst part was I fell back and hit my head. So I got a concussion and I was like, it's fine. Everything's okay. It'll be great tomorrow. And about 30 minutes later, it said in that it was not okay. And it was not going to be fine. Mm. (laughs) So, and I still suffer from that. Um, unfortunately now due to a, a, you know, damaged nerve in my foot. So I, uh, I'm like a 90-year-old woman. It's fine. It's amazing how that <laughs> happens. Like, you can roll your ankle, and then all of a sudden, you're done for the rest of your life. Like, I know so many people who've rolled their ankles, and they still have problems from it. Yeah, it's the worst. The worst. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, James. I'm sorry that you dropped uh, a weight on your foot. The sad thing is, like, that was totally preventable, James. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was being completely clumsy. That was the problem. That's what happens when you try to juggle 45-pound weights. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever seen James, but he is uh, – he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, James. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was just a little bit shorter and had a really bushy beard. <laughs> Goodness. Anyways, uh, you guys, what is our icebreaker today? 
Callie, you're the guest. You get to you get to have oh, an icebreaker. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. So we are going to be um, doing for this icebreaker. If you've ever seen a prediction, or if you could have a prediction, what you would like to see. <sighs> well, guess what, you guys? It's funny that we're doing this topic today because I had a premonition last night, and this what? morning what? it came true. What? Yes. Oh. Yes. Basically, today was supposed to be pajama dress-up day. Oh, my gosh. At my daughter's <laughs> school. And I was like, I thought to myself, I'm going to put her pajamas out tonight. If I don't, I won't remember. And as I was putting them out, I thought to myself, like, I could see in my brain me pulling up to the school, seeing all the other kids in their pajamas, and me thinking, oh, crap, I forgot. Uh, That's exactly what happened, you guys. Determination. I put, I put, oh, <laughs> th- th- oh, no. This is... This is more of a pattern of behavior than a premonition. (laughs) They don't need to know that. No, you guys, I pulled up to school. I put Gwen in, I put Gwen in a Yoda shirt today and I was like, she's going to look so cute. And then I pulled up to school and sure enough, there was a dad waiting outside with his kids in their cute little pajamas. I turned around and Gwen, I said, oh crap, I'm sorry, kid. Mm. So yeah, that's my premonition. Well, do you need to re-research your topic? Because Boy. you don't seem to know what a premonition no, is. No, it was a premonition. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen, and it happened. Uh, I think the closest to premonitions that I've ever had is like deja vu. Yeah. Where, But it's like I know exactly all the – I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I, I see all the events unfolding, and I can actually change them if I want to, but I usually play along to see if my – Deja vu. If my deja vu was correct, and it is, whenever it does happen, but it actually yeah. hasn't really. Ha- it's only happened like once this year. So hmm. that's because you got a mental block. This twenty twenty years got Alex all out of sorts. Well, it's because every day feels the same now. So yeah. if, if if it did happen, I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice if you'd had it this year. You could have told me to buy Zoom stock. <laughs> Either Seriously. that, or you could have told him to avoid the gym. The day that he dropped the weight. <laughs> yes. No, I, I would have told James, invest in TikTok. All right, James, Callie, what about you guys? Well, yeah. Um, James, you go yeah. first. That's two people oh, okay. at once. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine's pretty weird. Um, I've had a few instances like this, but the weirdest one was a few years ago. I had a dream that... I was at a family gathering and all my relatives were there, both immediate and distant. And my nieces and nephews were playing Legos, but there was a kid there that I didn't recognize at all. Hmm. And I asked, I was was like, and I'm going to protect their identity by being very vague about certain details. But I said, who's that? And they said, and everybody looked at me like I was nuts. And they said, oh, that's insert name here. And that's uh, a weird name. When I woke (laughs) up and when I woke up, I got a text um, a few hours later, that a kid was born in my family with that name. Ooh, and I thought, wow, that's wow. kind of nuts. Well, now they are the same age that they were in the dream, and they look just like they did in the dream. Jeez Louise, that's James. amazing. Hmm. Oh, James. my goodness. Well, James, I'm going to follow that up with a good one, too. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, there was an incident that happened about when I was 18 years old, which I've, I've sort of had – I'll call them premonitions, visions, whatever you want to call them, um, peppered throughout my life. But this one was actually one that became like I could physically feel what was happening. So that was pretty crazy. Mm. But uh, we had a friend at the time I was moving from Florida to Kentucky. And um, we lived in Kentucky for just a couple months. One of our friends moved out to the West Coast to California, and she was super pregnant. Well, I all of a sudden one night started having this excruciating pain from my rib cage down to like right below my belly button. And my Mm. waist down, I actually felt paralyzed. So, of course, I'm terrified at this point. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I managed to like throw myself off the bed with my arms, roll myself down the hallway to my mom's room. And I'm like, mom, call dad. Make sure he's okay. And, um, you know, he was fine. We then started calling the rest of the family. They're fine. Well, that friend that I mentioned, she had gone into labor at the exact time that that had happened and was having an emergency C-section because her and the baby almost died. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it was wild. So, Callie, you know what childbirth feels like? 
I don't want it. So, <laughs> so I don't want it. Um, yeah, it was not fun. <laughs> so. It's funny because you're the only one here that knows what childbirth feels like, and I actually have a kid. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. How is that fair? How? <laughs> I I can't explain it. I certainly can't explain it. But maybe, James, maybe you can shed a little light on what premonitions oh, are. I thought you were going to have him shed more light on childbirth. <laughs> that would be great, James. I would love that. Oh, goodness. Um, well, in order to fully understand premonitions, we first need to understand precognition. Precognition is often referred to as the sixth sense or being psychic. And it's often associated with sort of, you know, psychic abilities and prophecies and things of that sort. But there's a very specific form of precognition called premonitions, which is just a sudden, <laughs> I, w- I would go so far as to, <laughs> what? Our dog, just- dog? Our dog just made that sound. That was weird. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no worries. It's sort of like a a sudden warning that something very big is about to happen, you know, a birth, a death, a disaster, uh, just something that the most primitive part of your brain would, would cause a fight flight or freeze response. So that's, that's sort of what differentiates a premonition from say a prophecy. A prophecy could be about something that doesn't relate or pertain to you at all, doesn't affect you at all, like case in point would be Nostradamus. You know, he's writing about, uh, you know, future events in other countries centuries after his death. Well, that's not quite the same thing as a being about to board a plane, feeling like something is very wrong, refusing to board the plane, and then the plane crashes. That's a, that's a vastly different sort of uh, phenomenon. And one of the reasons why precognition is sort of considered uh, supernatural or pseudoscience is because it really turns physics on its head because in order for there to be an effect, there has to be a cause. But if you have any sort of premonition, that pretty much suggests that you are seeing an effect before the net cause takes place. And in Quantum physics, there's actually a concept that attempts to explain this called retrocausality, and it's really, 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 really hard to understand, but the three big uh, proponents and names uh, in its research are uh, uh, John Archibald Wheeler, Richard Feynman, and uh, Ernst Stuckelberg. They all three have like the perfect physicist names, especially mm-hmm. like Ernst Stuckelberg. Like what else could he have ever been? Stuckelberg. But uh <laughs> Yeah, but in one of, of these, uh, you know, thought experiments, they proposed this notion of uh, a positron as an electron moving backward in time and reinterpreting the negative energy solutions of the Dirac equation. Now, I don't fully understand what that means, but the basic thing to take home here is the idea that what's actually happening is the effect is preceding the cause. So on a on a subatomic level... the events are taking place backwards. So that does mean, at least on paper and in theory, that things can happen in reverse order, which could mean that people are interpreting events in a reverse order. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But I have a more primitive view, or not primitive, I guess biological view of what premonitions are. I actually think that what people are calling a sixth sense might just be, and this goes at odds with what I just described, because I don't see uh, all the experiences that we all three named happen to to be more supernatural than natural, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But I think in a lot of instances of premonitions, what's really happening is your five senses are actually just tallying up things and you're not aware of it subconsciously. And so what's happening is you're predicting a future event just through deduction, and you're, you're not aware that it's not psychic at all. Um, a great example of just a, a classic little thing to picture here. Imagine you see a child heave their arm back with a stone in front of a pond. You don't need a sixth sense to know that child's about to throw that stone. Every pattern recognition 
uh, of that you have at your your disposal with your five senses is telling you that's going to happen. Furthermore, from that, you can deduce that that child is going to throw the stone into the pond. And even if you closed your eyes at that point, just through hearing and seeing the ripples, you would be able to predict where the stone struck the pond, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, similarly, I think that we're also doing that on a daily basis. We're bombarded with information. Uh, you know, and, and I think that information can add up and can tell us things about the world that we're just not aware of consciously. Um, and a great example, you know, I mentioned we all, when we were talking about premonitions, they often take place in dreams. Well, dreams usually are sort of the things that we've been bombarded with that we've not consciously paid attention to, and then they manifest in dreams anyway. Uh, you know, uh, we talked about that in, a, in another episode. Mm-hmm. You know, if you walk through the mall, your subconscious is taking a tally of all those faces and who to trust and who not. And if somebody triggers a, a fear response on a subconscious level, you don't even notice. You don't, you don't notice that the, the guy at the noodle kiosk uh, is, is shady. <laughs> but then you have a nightmare that some stranger chases you through an alley and lo and behold, it's the guy from that kiosk. So I think that's a lot of it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about it really for, for my end. Um, unless you wanted me to cover Dossie, Cece. No, well, I just have a question. How does sure. how does that explain events that occur like months or weeks after? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what I'm doing is trying to put it in more scientific terms. But let's uh, again, when I when I think about some of the stuff that we just talked about, it doesn't really fit the bill. It, it's much more occult. It's much more par- uh, supernatural. An oddity for sure. Let me pull up my notes real yeah. quick, y'all, and then it's and then I'm gonna talk about John Barker. As for saying things uh, months ahead of time while you're getting all that ready, it <laughs> could be that you're constructing a correlation after the fact because you could you could have made a prediction and then something happens. You're like, oh well, that's what that meant. Clearly, that's obviously right. what that could meant. be. Well, I predict that this January. It's going to be cold. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, I'm going I'm to blow your mind with my story, okay? Oh, prepare yourself. And I got most of my information <laughs> from a news story about premonitions on ABC News mm. on YouTube. And then I also read a great article by The New Yorker called The Psychiatrist Who Believed People Could Tell the Future. Okay, mm. guys. I'm going to be talking about... Something called the British Premonitions Bureau, which was an experiment in the 1960s carried out by a guy named John Barker. Y'all ever hear of him? Of course you have. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all gave me this topic. But he was a psychiatrist. Sorry. (laughs) I was getting ready to cough and I muted her. He muted me. Oh my goodness. I, I was like, what happened? Yeah, I was but honestly, actually. She, she didn't say a single word when I paused it. Because I knew you were going to do it. I had a premonition. No. <laughs> this is the thing, you guys. Alex, whenever he's about to cough, because he coughs a lot, he'll he'll mute our uh, audio. Oh. Okay. And so he just, all of a sudden, I see his little fingers go on the keyboard <laughs> and tap. And then he looks panicked because he's paused my part. Uh, sorry. Well, Thank you for not blowing out our eardrums. We appreciate it, Alex. You're welcome. Yes, I he, did a public service. <laughs> you That's have it. done it. But anyways, John Barker, he was a psychiatrist, and he was also very intrigued by all things paranormal. So he grew up like hunting ghosts and playing with Ouija boards, which you should never do and all that crazy stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he was fascinated by just the human mind in general and how it worked and kind of processed things and possibly how it could affect the world around it by just thinking. So he was like, can we see the future? Can we predict things? That was really like his bread and butter. Mm. That and Mm -hmm. just like the fear response because he studied a lot of aversion therapy was like his big thing that he worked on when he worked at mental uh, hospitals throughout his years. Mm -hmm. But the whole premonitions thing is really what kind of made him famous. And it's why I'm talking about him right now. And also because James and Callie said, Cece, you should talk about John Barker. So, yep. (laughs) Yeah. He came up with this idea called pre-disaster syndrome, which is when you kind of have this feeling of like dread or apprehension that something terrible is about to happen. And he'd always kind of been interested in the idea, but then something happened in October, 1966 that really got like the wheels spinning in his mind. And that is what ultimately inspired him to create the British premonitions bureau. Uh, BPRD. 
So October 21st, 1966, in this little Welsh village called Aberfan. This is a terrible tragedy that happened. It's very sad. So just a heads up there. But there was this terrible disaster. It was kind of like a coal town. And sadly, there was a mountain slope that gave way and a coal slurry collapsed down onto this town. And it took out like 18 houses and a school that was just filled with children. So 144 people were killed, 28 adults and 116 kids. Um, So it really was like one of the worst things that could possibly happen to this tiny village. And so all these people went to help. Uh, There's a show on Netflix called The Crown, and there's a whole episode about that event. Oh, The Crown? I've never heard of that before, Jim. Oh, really? It's about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, James! Being sarcastic. Oh, you're being sarcastic. (laughs) I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, well, I haven't seen The Crown, but it was uh, it was a really mm. bad little incident that happened. So Barker, when this happened, he went to the city, and after that happened, he started to hear these stories of people and even stories about victims who had apparently had a feeling that something bad was going to happen before it happened. So mm. apparently, this one story really captivated him. It was about a little girl who sadly died in the disaster. But apparently she told her mother the day before school, it was either the day before or the day of, that she didn't want to go to school because she had this terrible dream that her school was gone and it was just blackness. And her mom was like, oh, you've got such an imagination and sent her off to school and then the slip happened and then everybody died. So when Barker started hearing these stories, he decided to try and collect premonitions from people who suspected the Aberfan disaster. And he put a call out in this paper this newspaper for submissions. And he got a lot of feedback from people who said, Oh, I had a feeling that Aberfan was going to happen, that the coal disaster and the, Mm. yeah, that it was going to happen. And so then he decided to start this experiment. He thought to himself, what if we could prevent disasters by predicting them? Because we've got all of these people who were saying, Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Could they have prevented it? So thus began what spurred the British premonitions bureau, which if you're going to study premonitions, This is there really any other way to do it than to try and take predictions before they happen, like catalog them? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if somebody came up to me and said, oh, I knew that was going to happen after it happened, can you really trust that person? Mm. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So there's really like this is the only way you can kind of carry out an experiment like that. So Barker and a colleague, it was this guy named Peter Fairley, who also had some own accurate premonitions under his belt. He was a science correspondent for the Evening Standard. But they started this experiment in January 1967, and it started off pretty well. People would call in with these premonitions, and most of them were vague, but then there were some that were very specific, and they would write them down on these little cards, and they would date them, and they would categorize them based upon the subject. Like, is this about the British family? Is this a premonition about uh, space or whatever? And then they would just wait to see if the predictions would happen. And they had two regular people who would call in to report things that are pretty notable And they're kind of, they're not big names in premonitions, but it is an example that people will kind of point out and say, oh, well, look at these two people. So the first is a guy named Alan Hencher. And he was a switchboard operator for the post office. And then the second is a woman named Kathleen Middleton, who was a piano teacher. And I think she also taught ballet. But they both apparently had premonitions about the Aberfan disaster. And when they predicted that happening they said that they had physical symptoms Hmm. so uh hencher said that he had this headache that just would not stop and it stopped when the actual disaster happened and then middleton meanwhile said that she would occasionally feel this like choking sensation and she would have these very vivid dreams and then she'd see numbers and letters since that's kind of how her premonitions would come to her so remember they started this experiment in january 1967 And by April of that year, they actually had their first big break. The first example of somebody who predicted something before it happened. And it came from Hencher. He predicted a plane crash, specifically that a plane would crash with some 123, 124 people on board in the mountains over the Mediterranean. And then one month later, that happened. A plane, it was like with 124, 126 people. I can't remember the exact number, but it crashed in Cyprus. So they're like, huh. Looks like our experiment's working, guys. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And then Middleton had her own really big prediction. It was much later. I think it was, it was obviously, it was much later. It was in 1968. But in March of 1968, she sent a warning into the Premonitions Bureau about the death of Robert Kennedy, which 
He's popped up in our, our episodes a lot lately, you guys. Yeah, Kennedy's yeah. have been yeah. on a lot of our episodes. What's that mean? Especially uh, that Kennedy mm. episode we did. Exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, Middleton said that she had the word assassination popping into her head. And lo and behold, on June 6th, 1968, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And the crazy thing about this is, like, they had that little note card with a date on it from her predicting, like, hey, this is going to happen mm-hmm. in March. Mm. Before it happens, crazy. But here's the thing. And this is what kind of like, honestly, this research really got into my head thinking about time and predictions. I thought you were about to blow it apart. And it turns out that he had like pockets full of cards with dates on them. That'd be and that crazy. there was nothing surprising. No, <laughs> John Barker would never do that. No, but my thing is, what weight do these predictions actually hold if we actually prevent something from happening? Like, if we predict that something's going to happen and then you're able to prevent it, did you really pr- right. have That's a That's one of the arguments all? about retro causality, actually, is, you know, if, if you are preventing the effect or, uh, yeah, if you're preventing the cause from leading to the effect, then was your interpretation of the cause as an issue ever really an issue at all? Exactly. And, even, and it even goes in hand in hand with the idea of free will because a lot of, of a modern physics – you know, suggests that free will is not real. So it, would a premonition really have any effect if everything is, is organized on a, uh, a track that's, that's not alterable in the first place? Also, you know, it's sort of like the final destination theory in essence, where it's like, okay, if you stop mm-hmm. one thing from happening, is it going to happen a different way because it's destined to happen? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. And that's kind of like one of the, one of the big, I guess, kind of gripes that I have with the idea of premonitions, Mm -hmm. at least preventing them. Honestly, this made me want to watch Minority Report. (laughs) I was thinking about that earlier, actually, when you were talking about uh, preventing things. Yeah. Um, You know, there's another professional who thoroughly studied premonitions, and I got all the info from his research, and that was Larry Dossey. And he had a really interesting example of definitely changing an outcome, like, As far as we know, Uh, there was a young woman in Washington state. This is his favorite premonition story, by the way. And (laughs) she was awakened one night by a nightmare in which a chandelier fell from the ceiling onto her uh, baby's crib, killing her baby. Mm -hmm. And in the premonition, she saw that the clock read 435 a.m. and that wind and rain were hammering the windows. So she gets upset by this nightmare, wakes her husband. He uh, tells her that's, you know, nonsense and goes back to sleep. But it bothered her. It bothered her so much that she went into the baby's room and got the baby and brought it back into their bedroom. Not long after, there was a crash in the baby's room and she ran in and saw that the chandelier had crushed the crib. The clock in the room read 4.35 a.m. And by now, the weather had changed and wind and rain were howling outside and hammering the windows. (gasps) So she definitely altered uh, what she saw. Man, or maybe that's what was, well, I guess she saw that she had the dream where the baby died. Oh, that scares Ooh. me. Yeah. Well, What if she was the dream the whole time? Oh. <laughs> what if we're all just some God's dream? Man? Some kind oh, of inception man. stuff going on right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a movie I need to see, too. Oh, yeah, you never oh, yeah. saw it. I've never what? seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, my oh, God. Okay, so you guys... Back to Hencher and Middleton, okay? Guess what else they predicted? Mm. One night, Barker was just sitting in his office, minding his own business. When all of a sudden he gets a phone call from Hencher, and Hencher's like, Chop, I've been worried about you. And Barker's like, say what? And Hencher's like, I've been thinking about you all day. I've been worried about you. I've been thinking about you all day. (laughs) 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 Well, he asked Hencher, he was like, do you think I'm going to be involved in like an accident or something? And Hencher's like, yes, you need to be careful. Which, can you imagine getting a call from somebody saying that to you? Mm. Oh, the anxiety. I I wouldn't leave the house. Oh, man. But the thing is, James, you were never supposed to leave the house. That's where the problem lies. (gasps) Oh, oh no. but but you guys, guess what? Next thing Barker knows, Middleton is predicting that Barker's life is in danger. So he's got two people who are saying, "Uh oh, chap, your life." Mm. And then mm-hmm. three weeks later, 
Barker has a stroke and dies. Oh, in August of 1968. And what's interesting is that Barker had always been fascinated by the idea that someone could be anxious or frightened to die. And then that actually leads to the death itself, kind of like, you know, scared to death, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his work had to do with that. And he actually wrote a book called Scared to Death about it. But it it kind of that's kind of what got him onto the idea of premonitions because he heard the story of a woman in Canada who had to go to the hospital for some procedure and then she dies, which is sad, but it's like she had a procedure, so something could have gone wrong. But the doctors come to find out that this woman had apparently as a child been told that at the age of 43 she was going to die. Psychic told her that. She had this surgery just three weeks after her 43rd birthday, and she told her sister prior to the surgery that she wasn't sure if she was going to make it. So here's the question. Was the prophecy just accurate? Like it was just an accurate premonition? Or is it possible that after being told that she was going to die at 43, it's just something that became a self-fulfilled prophecy because she was so worried about it? Yeah, that's true. I actually know someone that did that. So I I knew someone um, that, uh, rest their soul, they they were like, I'm not going to live past 76. It's just not going to happen. And they just kept saying that for like years and they died when they were 76 years old. And Mm. uh, I, I, I mean, there was no major thing, you know, that happened. There was no you know, accident, there was no big health issues. They just fell asleep and never woke up again. So, yeah, they just Mm -hmm. knew it was going to happen. That's nuts. Well, Barker, he actually suffered from this extreme type of anxiety previously, like, especially when he was younger, people said that he would get so like in his own head and anxious about things that it would almost cause him to go crazy. Like he would have Mm -hmm. mental breakdown. So it's like, I wonder if this had anything to do with his death because they're telling him, oh, you know, we see you being in some terrible accident. And then he's got that in his brain. So mm-hmm. it's hard to know. But the skeptical explanation for premonitions is that when it happens, it's just because people feel anxious about something. And then they start connecting the dots like, oh, oh, I think this might have happened because mm. of this and this and this. Mm. Kind of like every time I think of that, I think of like Charlie from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> connecting all the dots. Mm. That's what I think of. It's like you get so anxious about something and then after the fact, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, I think that the skeptical explanation is that we're trying to look, as James said, for patterns in life. So it's like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Hmm. No, memory is very malleable. Yeah. So it's it's very plausible. Yeah, but premonitions are also something that happens to everybody, which is why I think that everyone kind of puts some weight into it. Because I feel like you could talk to everybody and they're going to have an instance where they say, oh, yeah, I had a feeling that was going to happen. And then mm-hmm. it actually did. So the hard part is trying to figure out, was it just coincidence or did it? Did I actually really predict something true? And so as James mentioned a moment ago, there's another guy named Larry Dossie. And I'm just going to wrap up my segment with just a little bit of information about him. But he also believes in the power Mm -hmm. of premonition. In fact, he wrote a book about it called The Power of Premonition. And to be honest, I don't have quite as much info on him because everything out there is like buy his book, buy his book, buy his book to learn more. So (laughs) I um. Yeah, I honestly didn't have the time or the interest to buy it. But if you, dear listener, want to buy it, you can get it for about $28 on Amazon. However, I would highly suggest or recommend buying it from a local bookstore because we all need to hashtag support small businesses right now. But anyways, yeah, he did an interview for the ABC News clip that I watched. And he said the most common examples of premonitions are mothers predicting something happening Mm. to their babies, which James, you told us that story about that woman who predicted that chandelier falling from who keeps a chandelier in their baby's room though. Just saying, you know that I I can't answer that. Honestly, if I had had that dream, I would have had Alex go and take the chandelier down. That probably would have been my first. (laughs) I would have moved the baby first. (laughs) (laughs) That way you're not taking the chandelier down over the baby. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh man. Well, I do think like honestly, I do think it's true. I think that there's just like this cosmic link between mothers and babies because I haven't had anything quite as dramatic as a chandelier falling on Gwen, but I had a feeling that our daughter would kick herself off the couch mm. once mm. and Alex was like 
no, it's not going to happen. Cece, these are normal <laughs> conclusions to come to when you <laughs> well, see something. Listen, listen. <laughs> no, listen, you guys. This happened to us. Um, when Gwen was just a tiny little wee little baby, Alex would play video games and he'd put her next to him with her feet facing the back of the couch and her head kind of like toward uh, the toward the ground. And I kept telling him, like, she's going to kick the back of the couch and knock herself off the couch. And she was very tiny. And so I was like, she's too small to do that. And then lo and behold, <laughs> I remember. Turns out her head's pretty heavy. So <laughs> if it just goes over a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking into the house and I see her sitting there and I look over and it was like time slowed down. Like everything slowed down in the moment that this happened. But all of a sudden I see her flipping off the couch and she did a full flip and landed on her belly. (laughs) I don't think that I've ever seen Alex so not scared, but just like, oh crap, I can't believe I just did like she she just saw that happen. Like, why did this happen with Yeah, Cece It wouldn't have been nearly as bad if you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. He picked, her up. he picked her up and ran into the other room, like, oh, maybe if I go into the other room, Cece won't be mad at me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That actually happened. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he didn't look he didn't look upset that Gwen fell. He looked upset that I saw it happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. But but the other thing that happened, at least when I was are we going to keep going on about non-premonition stories? <laughs> no, when one was a baby, I could always predict when she was about to get hungry. Like, I could feel physically hungry. Mm. And then I knew she was hungry. Mm. It's hard. You know, it's hard for you to ever understand, Alex, because you've never birthed a child out of your body. Callie, you. Callie <laughs> has, has uh, <laughs> symbolically had a baby, so she might she might know. Did your friend, did you ever have any other premonitions about your friend's daughter? Uh, no, or I didn't. That was the only one. <laughs> Sometimes her legs get restless. Sometimes her legs get restless and it turns out that he's playing soccer. I mean, he example. does play soccer. <laughs> so my legs have been restless See? before, too. Look at Alex. You're onto something. Mm. Oh, I need my to make goodness. a phone call. Yeah, yeah maybe he's onto something. Yeah, but. One other thing, one other common way that Dossie says that we have premonitions is via dreams, which we've talked Mm -hmm. about. And then also, uh, well, that means that Alex isn't going to be having a premonition anytime soon because he never dreams about anything. (laughs) You should try uh, Kalia Eternifolia, Alex. You hear that, Alex? Kalia Here You'll love it because it's good for (laughs) asthma. It's uh, it's good for having prophetic dreams in divination. And it's actually, Mm. uh, it treats diarrhea. And the native name for it is actually poop tam oots. You you sold me on the last (laughs) point. (laughs) Oh, and it's banned in Poland for some reason. I don't need it for the diarrhea, but thank you, (laughs) (laughs) Cece. But anyways, these premonition dreams tend to be more vivid than your average dream and also recurrent. So if you start dreaming the same thing over and over again, you guys, it might mean something. Mm-hmm. So this, with that, I'm going to pass the torch off to Callie, and she's talking about historical premonitions. I am. Prior to uh, 20th century, which Jane sort of brushed over the Nostradamus stuff, so I'm not really going to talk about him. But I just had sort of something funny I wanted to share. All week, I wanted to call him Nosferatu. So I was afraid I was going to say it during the podcast recording. Um, so I just imagined like the psychic vampire after that, and it was pretty, pretty oh, good. Mm-hmm. So uh, before jumping in, though, I did want to list off the sources I used. So thank you to Bustle.com, BusinessInsider.com, Wikipedia, HistoryCollection.com, and Law. Zmag.com for all the info. Yes, queen. Um, so our first historical figure is none other than the evocative American writer, poet, critic, and editor Edgar Allan Poe. Um, <clears throat> James suggested this to me, and thank you, James, because it was fascinating. And I'm excited uh-huh. to share this with you all. So nice. we're going to go back to 1838. Poe had his novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, published at that time. It's a first-person narrative that is by the the title character recounting his misadventures as a stowaway on a whaling ship. As we know, Mm. by Poe's reputation of writing tales of horror and mystery, the story does not Mm. have a happy ending. I'm sorry. Um, Pym's journey (laughs) consisted of mutiny, a shipwreck, and everybody's favorite, cannibalism. So, (laughs) so we love cannibalism here at 13. Oh, well, you're going to love this story then. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the characters, a cabin boy named Richard Parker, ended up becoming victim of 
the the cannibalism, unfortunately. And uh, in the the bustle.com article, it says, to be fair, it's Parker who suggests that a crew member should be sacrificed to provide food for everyone else. He then (laughs) then proceeds to draw the short straw. I'm like, dang, that's cold. Even if it's about Mm. like a character. Man. Mm-hmm. Man. So bustle.com. Doing it again. But anyways, I digress. So let's take a step back now from the novel and put our feet into reality for a minute. We're going to fast forward a little over four decades or so after Poe's novel was published to May of 1884. A ship called the Minionette set sail with four passengers for a 15,000-mile journey from Southampton, England, for Sydney, Australia. Well, guys, oh boy, this this ship was not exactly made for the long journeys like that, as it was only a 52-foot-long yacht, not a giant cruise liner, a yacht. So, (laughs) yeah, it just sort of was doomed from the beginning. Well, as you can imagine... (laughs) Things did not have a happy ending. Like I mentioned before, the ship uh, never made it to Australia. It, it unfortunately sank, and it sank so fast that unfortunately the crew members were only able to grab two tins of turnips. So while that be considered a win for someone playing Animal Crossing, that's not the circumstance <laughs> here. <laughs> so, um, so they just have these stupid tins of turnips. They have no fresh water and the only lifeboat available was said to be super flimsy and rickety. So on top of all of that, they then had to fight off a shark with their oars and... <laughs> You're thinking at this point, okay, surely this is as bad as it gets, right? No, wrong. It gets worse because they managed to catch a sea turtle, but unfortunately it just, it didn't yield enough sustenance. So they had to turn to the old drawing straws method to determine who would be sacrificed to feed the others. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. So this suggestion was agreed upon by three of the four people. But they were like, hey, guys, wait, let's let's not be too hasty. Let's wait until morning before we decide this is really what we want to do. So the next morning, everyone woke up but one of the crew members. It's a 17-year-old cabin boy. He became really ill all of a sudden, and they actually thought that he had gone into a coma um, because he was pretty much, I guess at that point, non-responsive. So you have the three other people sort of sitting there staring at him, and two of the three were like, hey... So why don't we just like sacrifice the cabin boy since he's in such bad shape? Or at least that's what I think they would probably say. And uh, (laughs) after debating it for a bit, they decided, yeah, let's do this thing. And so the cabin boy was no more. And now this is where things get a bit eerie. What do you think the cabin boy's name was? (laughs) Ooh, ooh. What was the name of the guy who drew the the short straw on the book? Richard Parker, yes, you see. It, was that his yes. name? Yes. <laughs> and they both were cabin boys. So it... Oh, my god! Yeah, so it's, it's really creepy, right? Well, wait, there's more. So there was another <laughs> incident about 20 years prior to the Minionette shipwreck. Um, a ship called the Francis Spate um, ended up sinking. And one of the people who perished was none other than a crew member named Richard Parker. <laughs> Richard Parker. So... Oh, man. Yeah. I bet you we've got a, a listener out there named Richard Parker. <laughs> She's like, oh, thinking, my man. God. Stay away <laughs> from ships in the water, Richard. Just don't do it. <laughs> Please. Well, a little interesting fun fact for you before we move on to our next person is that, you know, Poe's novel and those two real-life incidents are said to have actually inspired author Jan Martell when he was writing his novel, Life of Pi. For anyone who's read the book, seen the movie, mm. even if you've just seen the trailer, there's a tiger oh, yeah. that is on a lifeboat, and Pi has to feed him. Oh, yeah. His name is Richard Parker, that tiger. So just a little fun <laughs> Easter egg for you next time you watch it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize his name was Richard Parker. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just a little fun fact for you. Mm. Well, our second person that we're going to talk about is legendary American author Samuel Langhorne Clemens, or as all of us hey. usually call him, Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Yeah. Twain had a dream about his younger brother one night, and the dream Twain had, he saw his brother Henry lying lifeless and cased in a metal coffin with fresh flowers placed upon his chest. The dream of Henry's death shook Twain, as you can imagine. So 
he mentions this dream to his and Henry's sister, Pamela, but never actually to Henry. Instead, he urges his brother, who is working as a steamboat pilot and a crew member, just to be careful and don't lose your head. Well, Henry was assigned to a different steamboat, the Pennsylvania, and so Twain was like, okay, maybe everything's going to be all right, and he just starts to think nothing of the dream. Well, time passes as it does, and they, you know, lose touch for a minute. Well, Twain got word that Henry, unfortunately, had died on the Pennsylvania due to a boiler explosion. So, yeah, it's just, uh, of course, you know, Twain, he felt responsible, and he was riddled with guilt, but this incident would lead to uh, his interest in parapsychology. So he would actually go on to be an early member of a nonprofit society in London called the Society of Psychical Research. And they, they mm-hmm. study, you know, events and abilities um, involving, you know, psychic and paranormal stuff, but with more of an unbiased scientific manner. So um, I did not know he was part of that group, but I found that really interesting. Neat. Yeah. Um, did you get his well, other prediction? I did not. Do you want to share that? Oh, well, here's another fun one. Uh, Mark Twain said this. This is a quote. The Almighty has said no doubt. Now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together, and they must go out together. He was referring to himself and Haley's comment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. yes. And, I yeah, did see, that. Alex knows it. Yeah. He was, he was born uh, when Haley's comet was uh, passing the Earth, and he died after its closest approach. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he, he came and went with Haley's comet. I think, didn't he yeah. say he was like going to be disappointed if he didn't go with Haley's Comet? Yeah. I think I read yeah, that. In which case, you know, we don't, we don't know what really happened there. Maybe yeah. he got, you know, soused. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and Callie, you said that Twain was a part of the Britain Society of Cyclical mm-hmm. Research? Yes. Guess what? John Barker was too. Oh, bum, bum, bum. They were probably bum, buddies bum, bum. if they were around at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no. um, but I do have like three honorable mentions I would like to list off before I throw things on over to Alex um, that were pre 20th century. Yes. So uh, Charles Dickens is rumored to have written a ghost story that actually happened. British Prime mm. Minister Sir Winston Churchill allegedly had premonitions of World War I when he was a young man. And then Abraham Lincoln was thought to have also seen a premonition of his death. But apparently Lincoln is not the only president who actually has had the gift of foresight. So, Alex. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, you know, Kennedy is said to have had a, a premonition, but I would, uh, <laughs> if I was in the room, I would have been, I would have called it a snarky comment to his wife. Mm. Um, <laughs> so he's at this like history, I'm going to call it a lesson that's not doing its service probably, but essentially the historian says something about Lincoln's legacy and Kennedy asks if his leg- if he thinks that his legacy would have been as strong if he had not been killed. Mm-hmm. And he said no, because he would have had to deal with the fallout post-Civil War, Ooh. which would have been, made, which not wouldn't have ruined his legacy, but it wouldn't have been as strong. Sure. And he leaned over to his wife and said about the Cuban, since he, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis had just resolved, he said, if anyone's going to kill me, it should happen now. Oh, <laughs> Is what he said to her. Would have been way creepier if he was like, if anyone wants to kill me, it should be in a car in Texas. Oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jake. That was a pretty good Kennedy. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, actually. (laughs) Alex, you're talking about modern-day examples. Modern-day, and for clarification... Modern day is like, we're going to do 1900s and on. Yeah. Just because one, one of the most interesting ones is like almost on the fringe a little bit. And I, you know, I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> because this prediction started in 1886, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I give myself a little, a little ebb, mm-hmm. a little ebb and flow. But that this is a, it was a prediction, not a prediction, but it was a book. It was two work. There's two pieces of fiction pertaining to the Titanic. That actually predict the events that mm-hmm. happen. Uh, the first is a book by W.T. Stead. Uh, the book was called How to How the Mail Steamer Went Down in Mid-Atlantic by a Survivor. And it was a story that told from the perspective of a man named, uh, I think it was Thompson. And mm-hmm. so 
the story is that this guy is on this big boat. It's uh, our daughter just hit a. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, but it's singing the <laughs> alphabet. Um, oh man! Let me turn the. She's asleep. I think she rolled over on it. It went off. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect that. All right. So the protagonist is in the book concerned about the li- a lifeboat shortage. And as you'd expect, in something pertaining to the Titanic that <laughs> I've already set up, it collides with a small sailing ship in the fog. And priority is given to women and children. And there's not enough lifeboats. And all these people die in the, in the water. Not as many as the actual Titanic. No, more die in this than the actual Titanic. Only 13 people survive. Wow. So a lot of people consider this prediction of what would happen. Now, I, I think that's like... A lot of boats go out in the water, and this is a reasonable thing to be worried about, especially if you know much about boating, I guess, <laughs> at this time. <laughs> but though it, the most interesting thing about this story, though, is that the author, Stead, was absolutely terrified of two things, lynching and drowning. What do you think happened the night of the Titanic? Oh, snap. Oh. This guy got lynched? Nope. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, di- he died on the Titanic. What? He died on the Titanic? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> of all the, why in the world would he buy a ticket yeah. if he was scared of that sort of thing? Man, that's, that's the opposite of what premonitions are supposed to do. <laughs> right? God. Yeah. But in his book, the protagonist actually survives because a lifeboat circles back around hmm. and pulls the guy out of the water. Did- he wasn't so. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking like so they called him a witch for predicting it, and they lynched him that evening or right? something. <laughs> oh my gosh! The uh, the the second book that was written about it is called "The Wreck of the Titan," mm-hmm. and then their title was called "Futility." Yes. Uh, but why are you talking like you already know? Did you read about it already? But, but oh, I gosh. told you to. Oh, oh my goodness! Gosh. So. It is a book by Morgan Robinson written in 1898. What's his name? Morgan Robertson. Okay. What was so hard? You said Robinson. Okay. Oh, Robertson. (laughs) Um, So the story follows uh, the fictional ocean liner Titan. Titan. Very similar to Titanic. Yeah. And it actually hits an iceberg in the North Atlantic and sinks. Uh, That's not like the only thing that's similar, though. In the book, this is described as the largest ship at the time and that it's unsinkable. And its lengths and like its dimensions are very similar to the actual Titanic. Now, it also interesting is he also predicts the same month oh. that this happens in April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when he was asked about it later on, because obviously after the Titanic actually happened, his book kind of started selling really well and he got a reprinting. <laughs> Um, they asked him if he was clairvoyant, and his answer was, I know what I'm writing about. That is all. Man, <laughs> that is one interesting response. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that came out 14 years before the actual ship sank, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, another story I wanted to do was one that's more a lot more recent. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, I'm sure you all have probably heard of Barrett Naylor. Have you all heard of this? No. About this man? I know his name, but I don't remember. She's looking at me like she might know. So, Barrett Naylor was someone who was working in New York City in 1993. And uh, he takes a train an hour in and an hour out of the city to go to work. So, he gets off the train and he gets this really bad feeling. And he gets back on the train and goes home. And what happens later that day? the bombing of the world trade center. Mm. And so he, he he dodges that bullet. Now the bombing killed a few people, but it, it like wounded about a thousand. So his life wasn't necessarily, I mean, it was in danger. Yeah. Could have been bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad as what happened eight years later. Mm. Naylor is on his way to work and suddenly he gets a very bad feeling. He starts heading home and when he turns on his TV when he gets home, his workplace is, is falling to the ground, and both towers have fallen. Wow. Yep. 9-11. Wow. Yeah. 
And he he says he doesn't he doesn't believe in any of that stuff until both of these instances. And he says there's he's never experienced a sensation like it. And it just like you could tell it disturbs him. And he's got survivor skills. Yeah, you can really you can really tell from the writings on it. And the there's a video interview of it as well. Yeah, he feels guilty <clears throat> that he didn't tell anybody how he felt so that he could possibly save more people. Since he had that feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Because if I remember correctly, he walked into the building, into the World Trade Center, and then turned around and left. Uh, no. I don't think so. I thought that's what he said. Mm, mm. I don't think so. This isn't your topic. <laughs> you know, fun fact, uh, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, the guy who made uh, Family Guy, he actually was supposed to be on the 9-11 flight. Um, but, Oof. yeah, but he actually, he got so hammered the night before he was too hungover, he didn't want to fly. Wow. So there, Well, yeah. there are a lot of people who dodged that. There are tons of mm. stories of people who didn't get on trains before they crashed because they just hadn't uh, like a, a feeling. It's a very common phenomenon. And that to it me, is. that's that's this, what I think, why I think it's a, some sort of survival skill, whether it's, whether it's paranormal or it's the sum total of all of our senses and we don't recognize it in any event. I think that the ultimate aim of, Precognition and premonition, particularly, is survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. yeah, that would make sense. And I actually had a couple more, but I think that's a really good note to end on. Mm. Yeah. So, I think we'll we'll start wrapping it up here. Well, Callie, thank you for coming on the show and talking with us about premonitions. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. Yeah, it was very very fun. I think does that mean it's time to draw from the vase? Oh, go get it. Get the vase. Yeah, I'll be right back. Well, Kelly, if you were here, we would let you draw from. Thank it. you. Mm-hmm. I know. I was like, I sort of want to draw from that vase, but I'm only like six hours away, so unfortunately, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Well, if you hurry, we can just fill the time for our, our audio listeners while you, <laughs> until you get here. Okay, I've got the keys. I'm coming. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. <laughs> Stir up the vase. Pull one out. Let's see what we're gonna be talking about. Uh, uh, three of them just pop out. <laughs> that was good. Um, all right. Ooh, next week we are talking about... Ooh, we're going to return to artificial intelligence. Ooh, creepy robots. Yes, and this topic was submitted to us by Pierce in California. Mm. Pierce Brosnan? Pierce Brosnan. You guys want to hear some fun facts about Pierce? Are y'all ready? (laughs) Pierce has always had a lifelong interest in taxidermy, and his special talent is tying cherry stems with his tongue, so... Pierce, thank you for <laughs> that's amazing. That's uh, that's all. Uh, it all came from my brain. But Pierce, uh, you know, if you do want us to say anything about your interest in taxidermy, you know, just shoot me another message. We'll talk about it. that. You uh, just said you made up. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be really freaky. What if that's a premonition and he's actually a taxidermist? Oh, Oh, yeah, I don't know what Pierce is. You know, Alex and I, when we used to, when we moved to Georgia, we lived at this apartment complex, and right up the road from us was this really creepy looking house. Mm, taxidermy. And then they had a sign out front that was like, oh, so scary. But taxidermy. It just said taxidermy, and it looked like the house you go to get murdered. In, yeah, it looked like a murder house. In, a, mm-hmm. in every horror movie. Nice. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we never went there. Mm. But I, I think guess. it's since been bulldozed, maybe. Alex just did the sign of the cross. All right, you guys. <laughs> Not even Catholic. <laughs> so next week we are talking about Pierce's submission on artificial intelligence. Nice. James, if anybody wants to submit a topic to us, where can they send it? Uh, they can send it to 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com, 13thfloorpodcast.com, our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Facebook, all of which just look up 13th Floor and you'll, you'll be directed to it on said uh, platform. Yeah, you'll find us. You'll find us. You know, I talk, I talk to a lot of people. I talked to s- several people today, actually, on our Instagram. Nice. So definitely send me topics there. Alex. Who does our music? No, I'm not going to ask you that. I know who does oh. our music. Um, oh, okay, do it. Go ahead. Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on iTunes, uh, Spotify Music. Spotify music. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can't go on. Amazon music. All of the places that you listen to your music. But, Alex, <laughs> somebody wants to submit a review. Where should they submit a review? 
uh, they should submit it on iTunes. Yeah, on iTunes. And thank you to everybody who submitted kind words to us. Uh, your guys' reviews really lift our spirits. So yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anything anybody wants to say before we hit the road? Callie and Alex and James. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I felt like that was like a children's show for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm good. good. All right. Well, you guys, you know what that means. That means until next time. We hope that you can keep keep it it straight. straight.